Remember the name, Wayne Rooney. Good morning, my name is Paddy. And it's my immense privilege this morning to talk to you about Jesus. It's hard to believe, isn't it, that that goal was 22 years ago. When you use illustrations, you realize how old you are very quickly. You see, for years before that goal, there had been these murmurings about this boy with the body of a man. This wonder kid who combined aggression and power with immaculate technique and finesse. And then Wayne Rooney, age 16, in front of 40,000 people, announced himself to the world. Here he was, England's great hope, the best since Gaza, the best since Sir Bobby Charlton, the superstar that the country could pin all of their hopes on. Wayne Rooney had exceptional, exceptional talent, magnificent ability, and he knew it. There are not many 16-year-olds who take the pitch against the Arsenal in the Premier League in gold boots. And here he was. And then to have the confidence and skill to do what, he just, what you just saw. Rooney went on to win an abundance of trophies, to break records for club and country, and establish himself as one of the greatest players in modern history. But it is that moment, that moment, where the world had its first glimpse of Wayne Rooney. I wonder how you would announce yourself to the world if you had some incredible gift, talent, or ability. Maybe you have some exceptional intelligence. How would you indicate to all those around you the gifts and abilities you have? How would you choose to reveal yourself to them? I wonder if you'd pick a, a small town in the north of ancient Israel. I wonder if you'd pick the wedding of some unknown and unnamed friends to reveal your glory. It would be a bit like Wayne Rooney announcing himself to the world by scoring that goal at Churchfields. But that's exactly what Jesus did. Over the past three Sundays, we've begun a series looking at the Gospel of John. John was one of Jesus' disciples. He, he's an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. He spent three years traveling with Jesus, seeing everything that Jesus said, seeing, hearing everything that Jesus said, seeing everything that Jesus done. And I love the Gospel of John because what John does really well is he shows us how Jesus relates to people. And as we work our way through John, we are going to see that there is no one in society who Jesus will not meet with. Jesus did not come to earth to meet with a certain type of person. If you have any thoughts this morning that you're not the type of person who Jesus cares about or Jesus who would ever meet, John's going to blow that out of the water. Jesus meets with a whole host of people. And I hope you see that blown out of the water just by being in this church this morning. That there are people from all backgrounds, in all types of jobs, with all different life experience, who have met and have their lives changed by Jesus. In John, we're going to see Jesus meet with one of the most respected and educated men in the country. He's going to meet with a woman who goes from a broken and failed relationship to broken and failed relationship. He meets with those with, with disabilities. He calls fishermen, your first century scaffolders, to come and follow him. He calls tax collectors, 
They're the same. They're still tax collectors to follow him. He speaks to those who know their Bibles inside out and those who know very little at all. He'll meet with Roman rulers and common criminals. He'll meet with those at a funeral mourning the death of someone who they deeply love. And he'll go to weddings. And that's where we are this morning. That's our scene in John chapter 2. A wedding. A wedding which we're given very little detail about other than its location. It's in the town of Cana. It's taking place three days since Mike spoke last week at the end of chapter 1. And that Jesus and his disciples have been invited to this wedding. And Jesus' mother Mary is also there, seemingly as part of the catering team. Now, weddings are fantastic occasions, aren't they? The opportunity for two people who are deeply in love to publicly celebrate the love they have for one another. And they invite all their closest friends and family to be there and be part of it. And Matthew and Cody were married here a few weeks ago, an occasion full of joy and love. And yet in this passage, we aren't even given the name of the bride and groom. Because John's focus, and our focus this morning, is going to be on Jesus. And before we get into the passage, I want to say from this platform, while I've got the opportunity, look, there's nobody like Jesus. And as we work our way through 11 verses this morning, and as we work our way through the Gospel of John, the prayer on my heart has been that no one would be able to leave this hall this morning without having seen Jesus. That his glory would be revealed to all of us. At best, I want people this morning to give their lives to Jesus. But maybe this morning there'll just be an itch that you can't quite scratch, that leaves you wanting to know more. Because who Jesus is, what Jesus does, and what he has done can transform your life. As we work our way through this passage, we're going to do it in three headings. Uh, the problem, the person, and the purpose. Problem, person, and purpose. We'll start with the problem. Weddings are massive events. The average cost of a wedding in the UK last year was £19,000. Some girls just gasped. Yes, that's how much your dad will have to pay. I've just had my third daughter. I'm hoping the average comes down significantly over the next 20 years. Uh, wedding, uh, wedding reality TV is, is big, isn't it? Uh, uh, say yes to the dress. I remember having to watch that a lot. Uh, don't tell the bride. Uh, married at first sight. People are intrigued by weddings. They're huge business. It's big entertainment. And that moment when a bride walks down the aisle is incredible, isn't it? Such a special moment as she makes her way to the front to be with her husband. And in ancient Israel, 2,000 years ago, weddings, like they are now, were a very, very big deal. The, they were whole community events. Everyone would be invited and invited to the whole thing. Not just the wedding ceremony, but the reception too, which if we're honest, that's the bit we want an invite to. The party. And these parties in ancient Israel would go on for a week, a week-long wedding banquet full of food and wine, fun, laughter, dancing, a community celebration of joy and love. But for this couple and this wedding that Jesus is at, disaster strikes. 
there's a huge problem. A problem that Mary makes Jesus aware of in verse 3. She says to him, they have no more wine. This is a catastrophe. It's like Guinness running out at an Irish wedding. This is a huge problem. That The party's over. It's done. It's finished. Everyone pack up and go home. Except culturally, it's even more than that for this couple. It's an even bigger problem for them than we can imagine. Because it's the job, it's the responsibility of the bride and groom and their families to ensure that the whole community enjoys this celebration. It's their responsibility to ensure that everything is covered. That everybody goes away satisfied. And the wine has run out. And this isn't just a, a whoops, who's messed up the Tesco order situation. This is a situation that is going to bring shame upon these families. It's publicly shameful, humiliating. It could even leave them open to a lawsuit. They could be sued for their failure to provide what people expected. We have a very real situation on our hands. We have a problem that no one is able to solve. To source the amount of wine is an impossible task. It appears there's going to be a, a lawsuit, uh, this family are going to face judgment, and this young couple who potentially half an hour before were having the time of their lives are now set up to live out the rest of their marriage with shame and humiliation hanging over them. It's a big problem. And, and, and I wonder this morning, are, are there some issues in your life that you think are, are unsolvable? Are there things that you've had in your life which you think, oh, that brings me too much shame? It's too much embarrassment. What, what, what do you do with a, with a problem like that? Well, the interaction between Mary and Jesus shows us what we should do. You see, Mary, she takes this problem to the person of Jesus. Mary tells Jesus, Jesus, there, there is no more wine. And on first reading, Jesus' response is a bit shocking, isn't it? I think uh, Sophie read this really, really well. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Is Jesus being uh, rude and, and dismissive to Mary here? I know I wouldn't call my mum woman. <laughs> that would end very badly. This term, this term isn't, isn't dismissive. It's closer to the term madam or, or mom. It's a term of respect, but it's certainly not a term of, of endearment. And that's important because what is happening here is Jesus, who has faithfully lived as the son of Mary and Joseph for the past 30 years, is about to set out on his public ministry. There's going to be a shift in the relationship between Mary and Jesus. As Jesus sets out on his ministry on earth according to the will of his heavenly father, not that of his earthly mother. And I think there is something for us to learn from this. And if we have any Roman Catholic friends with us this morning, I would urge you to see this. Because Mary doesn't respond as we think maybe a mother ought to. She, she doesn't question her son's response here. She doesn't get offended or, or upset. No, she, she trusts Jesus. Do what he tells you. She tells the, the servants 
in verse 5. You see, Mary has no special access to make any demands of Jesus. And neither do we. When we come to Jesus, we need to be fully aware of who he is and who we are. There is no shortcut access to Jesus. There's none of this, yeah, I was brought up in a Christian home. There's no, I'm a really good person. There's no, I attend a carol service once a year. Now, we all need to recognize who Jesus is. He is the Word, God the Son, the one who created all things and who keeps all things together. He is God in flesh with all the power and authority of God. He is the exact representation of God's perfect being. And if you want to know what God is like, then you look at Jesus. That's who Mary has come to. And in these next few verses, he's going to reveal to Mary, to these servants, to these disciples, and to all of us exactly who he is and exactly what he's come to do. See, John made this point earlier to the children when they were with us that that these miracles, this sign, which is about to take place, isn't happening in isolation. John says to us that he could have filled a library with all the things he saw Jesus do. When I think of the biggest library I can think of, I think of that one in Beauty and the Beast with the big ladder and bell going around it. That's how big I think of a big library. John says if he wrote everything that he saw Jesus do in three years, he could fill that library and more. There's not a library in the world. So what he has included for us, well, that's really important, isn't it? Because there's something specific about Jesus that John wants us to see from this sign. And what Jesus says is really interesting. Verse 4, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has yet to come. You see, what Jesus is talking about there, this hour that you're going to hear regularly if you're here for the series of John, Jesus is already at this point referring to his death. You see, over the next 19 chapters, everything is geared towards the hour. The hour when Jesus will die. The hour when Jesus will be hung naked on a wooden Roman cross. That's the hour Jesus is talking about. So at this wedding full of joy and celebration where Mary asks him, look, they've run out of wine. Jesus is saying, look, I'm not here for wine. I'm here for this. I'm here to die on a cross. But in his grace and his love, he works at this wedding. He gives us a sign. He shows something here at this wedding that's going to reveal who he is and what he has come to to do. Jesus is going to bring about something new. He's going to fulfill everything that's gone before him in the Bible. Jesus is here to bring about cleansing, to bring about completeness, to bring joy and life. And this miracle, this sign is going to give you a glimpse of that, a glimpse of his glory. In verses 6 and 7, we see these big Six ceremonial stone jars. On average, they hold 100 litres of liquid. These are huge jars. And they were a constant reminder to the Jewish people of their needs to be ceremonially cleaned. They needed to constantly wash themselves because they were not pure before God. These washing jars represent the old order of Jewish law and custom. 
the need to constantly be purified in order to be made clean before God. And Jesus says, see those jars, fill them with water to the absolute brim, to the very, very top. Because there's going to be no need to add anything else. No one's sneaking a bit of vimto out of their back pocket to make it look like wine. This is not what's happening here. They are full to the brim. Because what's about to happen is all about Jesus. He's going to do it all. You don't need anything else. You just need Jesus. You see, what Jesus is, just, is about to do is he's about to turn the water of the law, the water of these ceremonial jars, into the wine of grace. It's what Jesus' hour is about. A miracle of grace is going to be needed to make a new and living way open to God. A miracle of grace is going to be needed to bring us life and joy in him. It's what we looked at in John chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We see the servant, he, he draws this water at Jesus' request. And in verse 9, he takes it to, to the master of the banquet. And he takes it and he goes to the bridegroom and he says in verse 10, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Ordinary water into the greatest wine to have ever touched human lips. One commentator said this, the water blushed in the presence of its creator. This is incredible. Everyone else, they, they give you all the best wine first and then hope as the party goes on, you, you don't really notice that the wine's getting weaker and worse. He, he's blown away by the fact that at this wedding, when wine has seemingly run out, they've managed to produce the best wine anybody has ever had. It's incredible. And it's all been done by Jesus. And this miracle is a, is a picture of Jesus himself, this sign. Because in Jesus, God has saved the best till last. You see, the Old Testament, he sent the law. And he sent the prophets. Abraham and Moses. And all the customs that came with it. But we read in the Bible, in these last days, he has sent his son, Jesus who has come to fulfill and complete all that went before him. Jesus has come to transform the water of religion into the wine of relationship with God. Jesus is here to, to do away with the old ceremonial washing and fulfill the law through cleansing us himself in a way that will never need to be repeated. This is an amazing scene of Jesus pointing us towards a greater cleansing to come. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. What was the purpose 
of all of this. The so what. Great story. So what. I think the crux of it is this. We all want a life of joy. I think we all do. I think we look for it in in different places. And those places either fail to fully satisfy us, so we have to keep going back, or they consume us and ruin us. In and of themselves, some of those things that we pursue for joy aren't actually bad things. They're good things. But when they are a source of our joy in the place of Jesus, when Jesus isn't the ultimate source of our joy, but those things are, well, then they leave us feeling empty. Our careers, the different men and women we wake up to every weekend, the next holiday we book, the next wage slip, the happiness of our kids, another bottle or another packet, the amount of likes we get on Instagram or our TikTok posts. The list goes on, isn't it? It's just a bottomless search for joy in life. And if we're honest, we know it's bottomless because we're never fully satisfied by these things. They bring us joy. They do. It's very short-lived, isn't it? doesn't fully satisfy. doesn't bring us life. But the truth is, the person of Jesus is the only one who can give us joy and life to the full. That's the Bible's claim. The Bible's claim to you this morning is that Jesus is the only one, he's the only way that you will ever have fullness of joy in life. And that's a bold claim. And the bold gets even stronger. This is what it says. He died for you so you can have it. The Bible says that Jesus came, he took on flesh, and he died so that you can have life. Pastor Mike made this point really clear last week. He didn't come to make you a Christian, to put you in socks and sandals, which was my fear when I was going to become a Christian. Do I have to wear socks and sandals? I don't want to. That's not what he's come to do. He's come to give you life. He wants you to know him, to engage with him, and know the life and joy that only he can bring. You see, this first sign shows Jesus dealing with, the, dealing with and removing the shame of, of two families by providing an abundance of wine to reveal his glory. And a few of his disciples and some servants saw it. However, when his hour came, his glory was fully revealed by him being publicly hung up on that cross. It's strike, isn't it? Jesus is often depicted as the joy killer, the one who wants to restrict your life and make you boring. But the truth is, he's the joy giver. He's the joy giver. And he offers you joy and life to the full. He is not a a distant demigod, but the up-close and personal fullness of God in flesh, who offers his life so that you can know him and know life through him, both now and for all eternity. Strike is it? Our shame is not that we face social backlash for a lack of wine. Our shame is that we sin against our very own Creator. And the only person who can solve the wine situation, the only person who can solve our sin situation, is Jesus. 
His offer to you this morning is not to wash you ceremonially clean using water, but to wash you clean through the shedding of his blood. There's an old hymn, I love singing it with Sadie, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. John 20, 31 says, this has all been recorded for us. All these things, this, this sign and the other six that we're going to look at, so that by believing, you may have life in his name. And it's striking, at that wedding, about six disciples saw that and they said, yeah, do you know what? I believe he is who he says he is. I believe it. They saw this water transform into wine and they said, yeah, this is, this is the son of God. He's legit. This is him. Do we say that? It's interesting, isn't it? John records seven signs for us. And he says, that's enough. You don't need any more. If you're not going to believe on those seven, you're not going to believe any. Here's the first glimpse of what Jesus does, of who he is and what he's come to do. There is nobody like Jesus. He turns water into wine. Amazing. He brought joy that day to a wedding feast. But John goes on to tell us that out of his love for a broken and rebellious world, he went to a cross and died so that you can have joy. I don't know how you, uh, you picture uh, heaven uh, and the world to come. Um, I think it's really telling that in the Bible, Jesus, the Bible tells us that Jesus died and he rose again. And he ascended to heaven. As we sang earlier, it says that he's going to come back one day. I don't know if you've ever thought what that day will be like. The Bible says for those who know and love Jesus, it's going to be like a wedding banquet. It's not a coincidence. The first time Jesus showed his glory on earth was at a wedding. When he next comes to earth, what's it going to be like? A wedding. Where the wine's never going to run out. Where there'll be no more tears, suffering, death, but an endless abundance of joy. Not because of your wage packet and your children and your holidays, but because he's there. The ultimate joy giver. It's a day that maybe if we kept in our minds and keep some perspective, sorry, keep some perspective on what we're experiencing now. A wedding feast with the Lamb of God. This is what Jesus brings. This is what he offers. And do you know that joy? Do you know life in his name? Simpler question. Do you know Jesus? If you're a Christian this morning, is Jesus still the source of your joy? Or have you gone back to those old stone jars? Those temporary fixes? Or is it Jesus? My prayer for us as Christians this morning is that our answer will be forever yes and amen. Jesus is the source of my joy. We'll have a chance in a moment where we to, to sing in response. And I just pray that we lift up our voices in a declaration of worship that yes, Jesus, you are my life-giving joy. Because you love me and you died for me. But it's easy on a Sunday morning after the service, isn't it? What about Wednesday? Thursday, your circumstances might change, but let me encourage you, the source of your joy never changes. His love for you never changes. 
So constantly come back to him. I'm not naive enough to stand up here and say, believe in Jesus and this week's going to be great. It's going to be really hard. But Jesus loves you. He brings you joy. So go to him this week as the source of that joy. And if this morning you don't yet know the person of Jesus, but you've been in, you're interested about this joy that he brings, you're interested in this life that he offers, then maybe speak to the person who invited you. Uh, speak to myself or John on the door on the way out. Or maybe actually you don't want to speak to anybody. You just need to go away and process some of the things that have been said. We'll be here again, same time next week. Come along. We run courses where you can ask questions or you can just sit and listen. Come along. We'd love to tell you more about Jesus. Uh, eight years ago, I got married to my beautiful wife in this hall. John did a preach that day. And um, my Irish family came. They're all Roman Catholic. And they were laughing as they came in because they said, this is not a church. They said, we playing five aside afterwards. They looked at the floor. They couldn't believe that we were getting married in a sports hall. They used to go into these big grand churches that are at the center of communities in these little towns in Ireland. And my Uncle Joe said to me after, he said, that's the first time God's ever been present in a church I've been in. Why? Because there was a joy here that day. Yes, for me and Christian, but because Jesus was there. That's the life he offers. It's not an empty building where people meet. It's transforming. It's water into wine. It's sinner into saved. And it's joyful. Do you want to know that joy? Do you want to know Jesus, the one who offers life in his name? I'd urge you to really consider the things you've heard this morning. Really think about them. They changed my life 15 years ago. They've changed the life of countless people in this room. And they will tell you that there is no one like Jesus, the giver of life and joy. Let me pray. Dear Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that at this wedding, he stepped in and he brought great joy. That he removed the sin and shame that that family would have felt. And that was a glimpse of the greatest offer there is, Lord. The offer to remove our sin and shame. To cleanse us in his blood. And to give us life and joy in his name. Lord, just pray, Lord, for those of us who, who profess this to be true, Lord, that you would uh, just, yeah, really imprint that joy on our hearts. Lord, that we would really think those things through this week. And for those that have been maybe uh, caused to think about things this morning, Lord, might you just give them a heart to keep asking questions that they might know you for who you are. Amen.